Welcome back to the Trees and Nylon podcast. I am your host, Trees and Nylon, and I'm joined today by a rock star, an industry titan, and the first ever Georgian to come on the podcast. It is Joy Howard of Early Majority and so much more. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, Well, everyone should know who you are, obviously, but in case anyone doesn't, could you give a little intro of who you are? Sure. My name is Joy Howard. I am the founder of Early Majority, which is an outdoor company. And before I founded this company in early 2021, I was a chief marketing officer. And sometimes I like to joke of brands that other brands want to be. <laughs> so <laughs> I was the CMO at Sonos, at Lyft. Before that, I was the first head of marketing in Patagonia. And before that, I was the global head of marketing for Converse All-Star, which is basically the Chuck Taylor franchise. Mm. Um, I did about a decade in consumer packaged goods before that. And before that, I was actually in a band in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, Well, I guess, you know, the way this podcast works is we're going to be talking about trees and also nylon with some deviations, of course, as 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 standard here. Uh, so my question for you is you want to start with trees or nylon? That's that's hard. I, I have I to test, honestly, my mind went straight to nylon. So I might okay. as well be might Sweet. as well be truthful the whole time here. Sounds good. It's way more romantic to start with trees. Mm-hmm. But if we know that trees are coming, we can start with nylon. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, go ahead. Tell me about how you first got started, like caring about clothes or fashion or anything in your in your younger years. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I'm going to just tell you, like, free associate for a minute on nylon, because Mm -hmm. the reason that that popped for me when you said it is that nylon was actually at the very beginning of of inventing this whole idea of consumer products and engineered obsolescence. So when scientists at DuPont, you know, created pantyhose was what we call them in the South. I think they call them, you know, stockings in the North or whatever. But when they created them, they actually really lasted a long time. And the marketing teams were like, how are we ever going to sell more of these things? They last forever. So, of course, they went back to the lab and they figured out how to make stockings that didn't last as long. And and that's actually the very beginning of this notion of engineered obsolescence started with nylon. But for me... (laughs) That's no good. (laughs) For me, I mean, I think clothes are a part of everybody's life, but... Obviously, growing up in the South, I had a Southern mother and people who don't know what Southern mothers are like, they care a lot about what you look like. In mm-hmm. fact, Southern mothers, when they see you, the first thing they will say is, oh, my goodness, you look amazing or you look terrible or whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, when I was really young, we lived in Germany for three years. Mm-hmm. My mother wrote my grandmother. They they, they had a, like volumes of correspondence that. Um, after my grandmother died, my older sister sort of like printed all the letters out, had them photocopied and bound. And it's like a stack of, of like, you know, printed letters like this and, and, and like awesome. three volumes. So cool. Well, I was so excited to read them all. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it's like letters from my mother to my grandmother from the ages of two to five. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very boring because <laughs> they're only about clothes. Okay? Oh yeah. It's like, Oh, you know, I bought Joy this jacket. She looks so cute in it. Mm-hmm. My mother was sewing back then and she used to sew outfits. Like, like I like to look like her. So whatever she would wear and what she would make for herself, she would make like a tiny version for me to wear. <laughs> so I would just say from a very early age growing up, like clothes were a big part of my life because they were a big part of my mom's life and a big part of my, my grandmother's life. Wow. It's in the blood, it seems. It's in the blood. It's always been around you. Awesome. That's very cool. So when when you started dressing yourself for the first time, what kind of brands were you into? 
Oh my goodness. Um, when I started dressing myself for the first time, well, I'm not for the first time when you, when you started caring about what you were wearing, okay, I but, should say, but we'll again, like you're going to see my age here, but, but, but it's very <laughs> cool. Like I was super into Esprit. Like okay. that's the first brand I can actually remember being really, really into. And the very cool thing is that as part of my career, I actually got to spend some time with the guy that founded Esprit, mm. which was such a cool moment <laughs> for me because I think he was like, he didn't realize how old I was. And he, he was like, yeah, you know, I founded this other brand a long time ago called Esprit. And I was like, Esprit, <laughs> gotta live for that brand. But Esprit and Benetton were two of my like very favorite brands growing up and probably two of the first brands that I remember like really caring about. Awesome. And what, since I'm, I'm not aware of that, what kind of style is that? Okay. Well, Esprit, both Esprit, uh, uh, I would say they were, they both... <laughs> It's very 90 stuff. Okay. Like mm. it's actually stuff that you would buy on Brailed right now. You would <laughs> you would like right now because it's all right back in style. And um they both, I think Benetton especially kind of um uh appropriated like more styles from the counterculture, like like mm. you know, hippies were wearing things that were like very comfortable, very basic. And so Benetton did a lot of that, like like you know, super cozy sweaters and stuff yeah. like that. And Esprit was also a very countercultural brand, but more focused on the environment. And they did mm. a lot of like pop art stuff, you know, like, mm. like, you know, you would have like, you know, trying white ceramic, you know, white plastic triangle earrings with black polka dots or like a hot pink sweatshirt with like cartoon strips on it or stuff mm. like that. It was like okay. really loud and yeah. out there or weird, like Keith Haring type stuff. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Cool. Cool. That's very interesting. Um, Man, I don't even know where to go. There's so much to talk about with nylon with you. So I guess, how did you get into like the world of fashion marketing? Ah, okay. So I, I never, um, I never, I am actually not qualified to be in the world of fashion. Okay. Because I don't have, <laughs> I don't consider myself, I don't really have a super strong aesthetic. Like I've never been a creative director. Okay. So I've worked in marketing, but I've never been a creative director. I'm not an art director. I'm not, tr I, I think of people that do art direction as being very trained in a craft. Mm. And I've never really been trained in that craft. Um, but I would say my first time working in what could be called a fashion brand was Converse. Yeah. And com and, and it's interesting. The only, you know, the only brands I've worked on in fashion are both brands that would hate to be called fashion and actually consider themselves anti-fashion brands. So Converse, very anti-fashion, very countercultural brand, like very iconic, you know, like the same silhouette for like 130 years probably now. Yeah. And of course, Patagonia is like legendarily anti-fashion as well. Yeah. So, um, but Converse is, Converse, it, you know, unfortunately, like at the time when I was working there, it was really, it was caught up in like a fads and fashion cycle. Mm. But I think the fact that the Chuck has been like such an iconic silhouette. Yeah, unchanged really for so long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it actually has changed, but. Oh, yeah. The silhouette. You want me to tell you this? Yeah, me tell you this? Oh, please. Okay. So. And I actually think, knowing what I know about your listenership, I think they'll appreciate a little history lesson <laughs> yeah. on the Chuck Taylor. Uh -huh. Okay. So Chuck's became very, very popular in reaction to the rise of performance athletic sneakers, right? So Nike was like, you know, doing all of these like, you know, 
like athletic feats in their sneakers, right? Like, like, you know, you could jump higher, you could like, you know, run faster and the sneakers were getting more and more technical. So and at the time when that was happening, and of course the jocks were all into that, the cool kids and the punks were like, fuck that shit. Like that's also stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they started wearing Chucks because Chucks were like the anti-performance sneaker. Mm-hmm. They were cheap, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of like, like I used to wear Army, Army Navy surplus boots all the time when I was, in, when I was your age, I wore that all the time because it was like, it looked really cool and it was really cheap. But so that's, that's how Chucks actually took off, you know, with the Ramones and CBGBs and all the yeah, punks yeah. wearing it. And so eventually though, Chucks became more like a fashion statement and when it became more of a fashion statement, the bureaucrats in the business started value engineering the sneakers and actually take what that means. What value engineering means, you actually take quality out of the sneaker. So they started engineering the sneakers to be lower quality because people only really cared about what they looked like, right? Like not mm. what they could actually do in them. Yeah. So they made them lower and lower quality so they could sell more and more of them for a higher and higher profit. And actually when I was at Converse, one of the things I'm really most proud of is that we launched the Chuck 70 while I was there. Mm-hmm. And the Chuck 70 was, was basically a very simple idea, which is let's engineer quality back into the Chuck Taylor mm-hmm. and try to bring it back to the level that it was in the seventies. It was very controversial inside the company, like almost got killed a bunch of times. And now of wow. course it's like super, super successful silhouette. But part of why it was so controversial is because people were like, oh, it's going to make our existing sneakers look bad. But mm. actually, it turns out there's a huge market for people who want just higher quality, more durable, more comfortable, more comfortable, mm-hmm. like a longer lasting version of that basic silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were talking about how they were making that cheaper, cheaper materials, like the anti-sport shoe, anti-athletic shoe. Uh, I, I just think about the Sandlot and how like the Chuck Taylors were the shoe that you wore to like run really fast or like basketball players wearing Chuck Taylors. So I, I don't, I don't think I was even aware of that like sentiment. Yeah. You mean that they were, that they were low quality? Not that they were low quality, but they were like, they were a performance shoe. Like people oh, were yeah. wearing them for sports. Oh, I never yeah, thought of so them as funny. an anti-sport that's shoe. Right, because you, you never lived through the phase of them. Yeah. But Dr. J, like that's, he, he that's what he actually played it. I mean, he's the mm-hmm. most legendary. I mean, honestly, like the most stylish, <laughs> the most badass, the, one of the coolest basketball players of all time. That's mm-hmm. what he actually played him were Chucks. Yeah, they were real exactly. performance sneakers before Nike took over that space. Wow. That's so, that's so interesting. And then mm-hmm. with the seventies that came out, those are like, I assume those are the ones that just everyone wears these days. Well, people that are stylish wear them. Yeah. Okay. So like teenagers, most teens would just wear the regular Chucks because mm-hmm. the regular Chucks are still like 40 bucks. But the Chuck 70 is like anywhere between 70 and 120, depending on whether it's a collab or not. Okay. And the way that you can tell them apart is at a distance mm-hmm. is that the Chuck 70 has the black license plate on the back. Oh, okay. See, I, I would not have known that because I have two pairs and they both have the black license plate on the back. Okay. Those are so Chuck just, 70s. And, yeah, and if you put know. them next to a regular Chuck, mm-hmm. you'll see that the canvas is thicker. You know, the laces on the 70s are actually cotton laces. You yeah. know, they have little foxing, you know, around the edges. Like they're just, you know, they're just a higher quality sneaker all across the board. Interesting. Yeah. When I, I was back into skating in my college days, you know, back when I was back when I was young and um, 
one of my buddies who was into it, I was like, I bought a pair of Vans. He's like, no, nah, dude, you can't buy Vans. Those are for like posers now. You got to buy Converse. Like Converse is where it's at. That's what all the cool, like all the top line skaters are wearing these days. So I got a pair of Converse for that. It's probably and... because I was working in marketing then. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you were, you were, you were the shift. That, it was that me. You know, happen. we had Kenny Anderson on the skate uh-huh. team. We had Sammy Baca. We had yeah. Eli Reed. Like we had a really great skate team when I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were, you were shifting the culture. It was oh awesome. man, always. Even, you know, even you know. in Georgia. Where there is a fashion <laughs> desert. <laughs> Indeed, sauce desert, as they say. Yes, absolutely. Which is something I do want to talk about. The fact that Georgia is dripless. There's nothing going on here. Like Atlanta is such a cultural hub, but there's like no good fashion. There is fashion. Well, there, wait, wait, there is one brand. There is so there's oh, yeah? there's a good store oh, and there's one brand. Me. Okay. So first of all, it is it is a desert yeah, yeah. but uh wish i think has always held its okay. ground and, yeah, yeah okay and then there's a new brand called factors i don't know if you know that them or not but they started in atlanta and you should totally check them out like i think what they're doing is is, is super cool and like it's very surprising that it's from atlanta and they opened up a shop um like right on moreland across from junk man's daughter and you know mm-hmm. all those iconic spots over there so it's called factors yeah check them out they're cool interesting i will yeah it's not cause... really streetwear well it is kind of streetwear it's sort of like anyway it's hard to, i'm not going to try to describe it because i'll do a terrible job <laughs> yeah but they're I'm from on, atlanta i'm scrolling on their website right now yeah. it's it's definitely it's more like menswear or like exactly higher higher end than just like graphic tees and stuff that's right that's right Interesting though. Yeah, I'll definitely go check it out. Cause and of course I think there of it, are go ahead. I'm sorry. There are style icons from Atlanta, like Andre yeah. 3000. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's the thing, is it's so like I was saying, it's such a cultural hub for like music, but there's just so little like fashion that comes out of there. Like, even I think even LA is a bit questionable as far as fashion goes. I know that it's popular, but I think it's not style capital. You gotta chill out, dog. Sorry. You want to know, know my theory about, about why this is? Was that? It's a car culture. Like you, oh, like people who yeah. are. In, yeah, if you're in a car all day, you're really not getting your fits off, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. And you're pulling up to the Starbucks drive-through, whatever lame ass thing you're doing in your car, and that's why it's like, you know. And I say the same with LA. You know, it's just more of a car culture. But yeah. you know, it, that, that would make it hard to explain Boston, which is. <laughs> Definitely not very stylish, but not really a car culture. So we can that, blame that, that on we can blame that on sports. I think. Oh, great! Great. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Explained. Yeah. If you're if you've got like a crazy sports team in your area, then you're probably not going to be dressing well either. It's just That's it's true. different different okay. demographics. You know, they're not going to attract Agreed. some people. Yeah. There you go. Because um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember my college days. Uh, like walking around, seeing one guy wearing like a Stone Island hoodie, and just be like, this guy. The one guy that gets it on the whole campus of like, you know, 60,000 kids. I found one other guy who knows what Stone Island is. <laughs> I mean, that is one of the funny things about growing up in a place like Atlanta, right? When you mm-hmm. when you see someone with style, like you really remember it, it really pops out. Yeah. I had a similar, um, you know, experience like in the 90s, like I went to a Jane's Addiction show and there was a girl there who had like a kind of like a, like a, what you would call kind of like a doll baby dress on, you know, mm-hmm. with like an empire waist. Yeah. And she had ox blood docks, like mid calf ox blood docks on. Whoa. And that look was <laughs> so, it was like so badass and so hot. I'll just, mm-hmm. I never forget it. 
So such a good look. Yeah. You find, you find that one person. I remember that one guy, you know, he had, he had the, uh, the off-white, off-white Air Max maybe from the 10 collection. I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. But then, you know, you get all the other guys. I feel like in Atlanta, what's really big is like flexing, but not dressing. Like the guys who just wear like Amiri pants. Well, that's not style then. Yeah. It's not style. It's just fashion, but like Amiri pants, the gaudiest Gucci shoes you can find, like a Louis Vuitton shirt. And I don't know, some... Yeah, it's just like it, it doesn't it's very, very expensive. It's just not a good outfit at all. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one other person who you should consider interviewing who's from Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. His name is Dewan Wilson. He is the chief marketing officer of Endeavor now. He went, which is, you know, the the talent agency that basically like manages all the talent in the world. He went to Morehouse. Okay. And one of the things that he told me once was that his best friend he met in the first grade and he could remember every detail of what she wore on that first day of school. And he described <laughs> it to me in all kind of detail. So some people just have an eye for that kind of thing and remember it. Yeah. But I also think if you if you are creative and you're different in any way and you grow up in these like very norm core places, mm-hmm. you you really you, you have a special antenna for other people that might have a creative bone in their body. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's you see you see all those people who are just buying clothes and you say, "Yeah, it just doesn't look good." And then you see the one guy who just like kind of looks a little bit homeless, but you can tell he like knows what he's doing. Like maybe he's got on Ramones or something, right? And you're like, "Oh yeah, you know, this guy's probably wearing very nice stuff." Uh, but anyway, enough enough of the Atlanta talk. I can only handle so much. Um, let's talk about these days. What are you into? What brands are you wearing besides obviously Early Majority, which I would like you to talk about. Um, yeah, what are you what are you rocking with? Well, I'm wearing a lot of early majority. I have two pairs of camper boots. So I bought a pair of camper boots from camper has a sub brand called camper labs. Mm -hmm. And they have this boot called Tractory that I'm really obsessed with. It's like so comfortable and it's leather with like rubber toes or whatever. And last night I went to um, the Satisfy Hoka launch party here in Paris. Oh, awesome. Those are so sick. Distance, I love those shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at distance running. And there was like maybe it was it was like about there were it was early. So there were maybe like 15 people in the store. Mm-hmm. And I got my box of the, you know, the black uh Satisfy Hoka collab. Nice. And as I was about to try it on, I looked across from me and there was a guy standing there with the same color and the same <laughs> sneaker, and he had the same camper track to boots on <laughs> great minds great minds joy <laughs> i was like man you you've got excellent taste in footwear yeah. like oh so do you but but another cool thing about that is i had a, i was wearing a skirt you know i had a sort of like a long coat on mm-hmm. and it's just so cool to me that there's that those are such unisex styles that you can yeah. make look good with the skirt he looked you know he was not dre- he was you know, he had a very masculine kind of look about him. You know what mm. I mean? So I love, I love any kind of like style like that. And that's one of the things I really love about Chuck Taylor that it's, you know, it looks great on men. It looks great on women. So anyway, I'm actually like very excited for camper to come back. The other thing I have from them is like a pair of not Tractory, but their regular main brand. I have a pair of like soft sole cowboy boots from them that I just got. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm, I'm like really excited for that brand to come back. I'm wearing them a lot. 
Um, I think Uniqlo, honestly, like for basics. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I, I send all my friends, you know. I just got a skirt and a pair of pants from there. We're we're doing mm. a shoot here today and that things might blow up in the background in a minute. <laughs> but but you know, that's what we're styling with the shoot is like mm. uh, you know, Uniqlo bottoms. Um and then the other thing I'm super into is um these gloves from Munich. So um, I'm going to hold them up so you oh. won't be able to see them, but the, it's a brand seen, called yeah. Roikl, R-O-E-C-K-L. And it's it's like nothing special about the mm-hmm. brand. Well, I don't want to say bad things about the brand, <laughs> okay, but like the products are incredible. So check them out. They're, these are these yeah. are leather gloves, okay? And they have the kind of touch thing on the end. Oh, okay. And this like little snap. I'm just going to do it like so you can hear it. Beautiful little snap. And they're aligned with cashmere. And honestly, Ooh. for what they are, you see the cashmere lining? Yeah. They're not outrageous. These are the kind of things you can wear for like, you know, 10 or 15 years if you mm-hmm. get a pair. So I'm really obsessed with this German glove brand. I oh, like Freitag cool. a lot as a brand. I have a Freitag pencil case right here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that's what I'm into. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um I, I heard you mention you got some cowboy boots recently. And something that I have been a proponent of is the cowboy aesthetic arriving and staying for a little bit, doing a little, doing a little trend tour. What do you think about that? Oh my God. Well, I just went to the most extraordinary wedding in mm. um in the middle of Wyoming. Oh. And it was the a marriage between two incredible artists, one who has a background in metal, who was, who was in this band called Sun. So there nice. were a lot of metal heads there. Mm-hmm. And Callie, his wife, so Stephen O'Malley and his wife, his nail wife, Callie also has a background in the metal scene, sort of Scandinavian. And, uh, but now she's an experimental musician. She plays all these like really beautiful old organs. I'm telling you that because everybody had a Western themed outfit on and everybody looked incredible absolutely incredible i believe it i mean it was like some of the outfits i just I, like like the night before the wedding the groom wore his name is steven mm-hmm. he had this like brown kind of like caramel color suede jack wrangler jacket and matching wrangler pants that was like his suit That's awesome. the for the wedding <laughs> for the like you know pre-evening rehearsal dinner it was so everybody looked incredible mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think there's a lot that you could take. I saw a guy, I went to Greenville, South Carolina. They do a fall festival every year. And there was a guy wearing like flare jeans with like a nicely cropped white graphic tee and just like a, a flannel with cowboy boots. And I was like, this is the coolest outfit I've seen in a while. It was so nice. So I think there's little elements of that. I was like, I might buy cowboy boots just off of that one outfit, just so I could try to emulate it, you know? I mean, I think the other thing is like, it's very practical, like that cowboy hat that you're wearing right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, <laughs> is it'll keep the sun off your face. And Absolutely. Your neck, you yeah. know? Yeah. Fun story about this. I, I was in Yellowstone um, this year. Yeah, I was in Yellowstone in June. Remember you got that hat? It looks yeah, so good well, on you. I found it on the ground. It was literally on the road. It blew off someone's head. It blew off someone's head. It fell off someone's truck. And it was just in the road and no one was stopping for it. I was like, this is a sign. I need to go pick it up. You know, sometimes the hat chooses a cowboy. So I think I gotta... that one did. It looks really good on you. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> that hat is great. 
Thank you. Yeah. It's apparently expensive too. I checked the inside tag. It's not like a Stetson or anything, but it's, it's a, it's a nice one. Someone, someone wow, lost a good hat. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously. Roadkill. Yeah, for real. But anyway, um, talk to me a little bit about early majority and everything to do with that. Okay. Uh, so I started the company basically because I could not get I couldn't get a good kit for riding my bike to work, to go out at night, to go camping, hiking or whatever. Like I really felt like I should just be able to have one kit that would go bike to boardroom, to bar, to back country. And so, you know, I could never get it. I could never get it. And it drove me nuts. And when I worked at Patagonia, I really started to understand why nobody was developing gear for someone like me. And that was, Mm. that's basically the idea for the company. Right. And so I started it in Paris because it's a place it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's turning into this kind of ecotopia with cycling, like really at the heart of it. And that was already starting when I decided to move here, but it's really sped up since I've been here. And it's a place where people really care what they look like, you know? And so I felt like in terms of being kind of a lab for me to learn more about how can you, you know, create like very functional, but very beautiful clothing. Mm -hmm. I thought Paris would be perfect for that. So I started it here in 21. Um, Originally, it was just going to be the five pieces that are my kit. And then my co-founder, Hannah, joined and she grew up in the Netherlands. Mm. She has a similar, she has a very similar take to me in as I do in layering, but different pieces. And so the entire line is basically like iconic silhouettes that have been around for a long time. That's why they have each have very generic names like shell, anorak, puffer, trucker. And what we're doing is designing them in a way that they work with each other, but also each one of them can be like the very best one in its category. Mm. Kind of like what you're saying about like Uniqlo basics, you know, like it's just great for building out a closet, getting what you need. And you don't really like, I have enough white t-shirts. I don't need to buy white t-shirts from like Gucci or something because I have really good Uniqlo ones. You know, it's having one piece and keeping it for a long time is very important. I mean, Uniqlo is such an inspiration too, because they have never fallen prey to the cheesy who's your target market crap. Like it drives Mm. me so nuts. Like, you know, everyone, I think everyone's hungry for a more kind of uniform way of dressing that they, you know, spice up from time to time, but they like to have like the basic kind of kit of what they're wearing dialed in. And, you know, if you target like a very, very specific, like hyper, you know, niche market, it's not going to be something that people can experience as universal. And so that's one of the things I've always really mm-hmm. loved about Uniqlo is they don't have, you know, they they really try to design for everyone and they yeah. don't have like, oh, you know, this is our core demographic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I recently went to Japan, I was just astounded at like everyone just wears Uniqlo or... I don't know if it's Uniqlo is inspired by just Japanese fashion or Uniqlo inspires Japanese fashion. I'm not sure what the order is there, but everyone was wearing stuff that just looked like it either could be from Uniqlo or was from Uniqlo. Just like the silhouettes, the colors, the aesthetic of everything was just so uniform. And I know it's a homogenous culture, so that's not going to happen anywhere else. But I don't think there's another brand that could have that sort of effect or that sort of reach, you know, because Uniqlo is just so... It's so basic, but so good at what it does. Yeah. And I think there's a place in the world for higher quality items, which is what Absolutely. we're making for sure. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I, I think they have actually done some waterproof pieces. Like 
in my learn in the journey I've been on learning about manufacturing, it's the waterproof from the water resistance that really separates the wheat from the chaff. Okay, because yeah. Water resistant is pretty easy to make, mm-hmm. but waterproof puts you in a completely different <laughs> category of like complexity and kind of factories that you're dealing with and manufacturing process. So I think they've done a, I think they've done a few pieces that, that I've definitely seen that way. But, um, you know, the Japanese like they they spend time and energy perfecting the art of living like that. That is like something that, that actually gets cultivated there. And I think it comes through in the food. It comes through in the clothes. It comes through. And the fact that we all want to go there when we're on vacation mm-hmm. and, you know, soak it up and learn more about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's definitely been my experience. Cause I went back in like 2019 when I was in my Kith Supreme, you know, tight pants era. And then I was, you know, I, I went to Uniqlo, but I didn't really care about it. I just went to like the graphic tee section. And now going back as someone who's a bit more mature in their tastes, I was like, this is really cool. You yeah. Know? And, th- and not to mention the thrift shopping there is nuts. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. I, I walked around like Daikonyama in that area and just kind of mm-hmm. walked to a bunch of thrift stores and all the, you know, North Face purple label and all that stuff that was over in that exactly. area. Exactly. So, so inspiring. Very, very cool. um, you need to check out this thrift store there called Pat Market. Pat Market. All right. Yeah. A little, little tip for the, for the listeners. Awesome. I will keep it in mind. Pat Market. Thank you. Pat Market. Market Japan. I'm gonna have to go. Yeah, we got a piece there <laughs> when we were there last year. It was like this insane kind of like leather biker vest with like mm-hmm. a rabbit fur front. So you know, a vest is made Whoa. out of three pieces: the back piece yeah. and then the two. So the two in the front were made out of like rabbit fur with mm-hmm. like silk pockets, and then there was this really beautiful like um, you know hand lettering on the back of the leather. Whoa. You know, the leather part of the vest. So beautiful. Wow! Absolutely beautiful piece. I see that you also follow them. And so does John Luke. <laughs> I don't know John Luke. You don't know John Luke? The J, J Lyle, that guy? Oh, okay. He was, yeah, he also follows them. I think, especially with time, let's move on to the future of fashion. This can be either your fashion or how you think generally fashion trends are going to go in the future. When are we going to, are we going to talk about trees too? Yeah, yeah, that's next. We got okay, we got okay. 30 minutes left. So I'm I'm leaving okay, 30 okay, minutes okay. for trees. Um I'm like, when are we getting to nature? <laughs> what are the good stuff? Uh, Come on. I mean, I think I really think the future is like fewer, better, longer lasting garments, you know. I think that um <laughs> there's gonna be a reckoning with fast fashion mm-hmm. and it's gonna have to come from the regulators. Yeah. Like, I don't think people themselves are going to be able to restrain themselves from it. And I think it's going to have to come from regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that these, you know, circular companies that focus on circularity, like Vestiaire in Paris, Vinted, Grailed, Mm -hmm. Real Real, like, I think that's the future. Yeah, I think so too. I think upcycling also of like making your own clothes or fixing clothes i think is gonna be big um especially like if the regulations i want go in place people will be buying one jacket and keeping it for their entire life like these like h&ms and zara's and all that won't be able to even make like <laughs> jackets that they that they can sell you know it's got it's got to pass a certain quality threshold um because my mom still has jackets from like 
I don't even know what year, but she's got ski jackets. She used to live in Germany back. Uh, she was a teacher on army bases and Navy bases. And she just picked up a jacket in Germany once. The brand does not exist anymore. It's been long gone. And she it's still, it's waterproof. It's super warm still. She just wears it all the time, you know? Just, that so doesn't great. exist anymore, you know? That, that really doesn't. You know, I think the other thing that's related to quality is local manufacturing, I think, will come back. And yeah. uh, I think that's really exciting because anything that we can do to get people back into cities lowers our carbon footprint right. and also increases our quality of life Agreed. and make it here, you know, make it close to where people want to buy it. Mm -hmm. that, that, that would do so much also, I feel like, to reduce overproduction because so much of what drives it is this kind of relentless, you know, factory mm -hmm. schedule where everybody's competing to get on yeah. the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that was that, a big race to the bottom. And now we need to turn it around and race back to the top. Yeah. That's a big issue that I saw because I, you know, I've toyed with the idea of making some sort of merch or some sort of pieces, but especially in Atlanta, like trying to find that, trying to find like an actual reliable place that I know is going to be making it in house. Actually, I was, um, for my job, I was driving down through Doraville Duluth area and there's like a whole like textile industry down there that I didn't even know about, but it's all there. So I was thinking maybe yeah, I'll just- Yeah, and people, people like there. you are rediscovering that and yeah. they're building their businesses around it. So Early Majority just did a collaboration with 1733 mm -hmm. and Phil, who is the founder of 1733, started it in Chicago and has been able to hire sewers locally because there's still garment manufacturing. His mm -hmm. loft right now that he has in Chicago is above a uniform factory where they make uniforms. And so, you know, it's hung around like in, in little pockets. And I think that's, you know, something to, to you know, to, to sort of, those are nice little like, you know, embers to blow on and to try to rekindle the fire from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we can now move on to everyone's favorite part, which is the tree section of the podcast. So Joy, please tell me about your experience with nature in your past. Mm. So I grew up in rural South Georgia where we hunt and we fish. So oh, yeah. hunting and fishing were a really big part of my upbringing. My dad was pretty disappointed that he didn't have any sons. And um, so I got to be the one that he dragged out to the dove field and into the deer stand and stuff like that. Um, so I really grew up hunting and fishing. And um, then when I was in college, I got really into the environmental movement. So those were the days of Earth First and uh, Julia Butterfly Hill. And we were trying to stop the logging of the old growth forests. So I got really involved in that. And actually, I think that phase of my life in college, like getting really exposed to other environmental activists, um, uh, was very profound. Like, what's what's the name of the guy from Atlanta that wrote the book about getting, you know, the guy that died out in the wilderness into the wild? Yeah. So he was at Emory when I was at Agnes Scott. So we were part of the same kind of scene there. Mm -hmm. We were really, we were really into it. And I think for me, you know, especially as a woman, you, you go through your teenage years, your early twenties, and it's almost like you get this crazy, weird enculturation to externalize your experience of being in your body. Like you only think about your body in terms of what it looks like. You can't mm -hmm. be grounded in it. You can't really experience authentic pleasure. You know, you're just constantly monitoring yourself to try to get skinnier and all this crap. And obviously like, you know, going to a woman's college and being exposed to feminism 
was a real eye opening to me. And it really helped, you know, being in nature really helped me lose that kind of self-consciousness that's so crippling. I feel like for young women, you know, absolutely. it was also a time when, when witchcraft was really popular. So Starhawk was like writing her first books. And so we were Mm. just really into all that stuff in college when we were really into, you know, mists of Avalon and Starhawk and Julia Butterfly Hill. And, and naturally we went hiking and camping and, you know, I did crazy solo hikes where I like got in way over my head and feared for my life and, you know, stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like what you do when you're in college. Yeah. So it's just always been like an anchor for me, you know, to, to, it's where you come back to yourself, to sanity, to your connection to the earth and to each other for me and nature. It's been a constant throughout. Awesome. You said you went to Agnes Scott college, right? I sure did. Okay, cool. So you're, you're around Atlanta. Where were you going with, for these wonderful experiences during your college years? Up to North Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. We were just going up North. Yeah. And what's the, oh, we were shooting the hooch. (laughs) Oh yeah. Shooting the hooch, going up to uh, Helen and getting, going on the tubes in Helen. You do that. Okay. Let me tell you, you'll know all these spots. Okay. So we went This is for me. Everyone turn off the podcast. This is where you live. Okay. (laughs) So we went up there tons and we did lots Mm. of hiking up there. Um, And then we went down to the beach and we Mm. went, you know, hiking and camping on Cumberland Island, which is a national, um, what do you call it? National monument, national forest, whatever. Um, I also grew, I grew up mostly in Reesville, but every summer we went to St. Simon's and Jekyll. So Mm. a lot of time on Jekyll, spent a lot of time on Cumberland in college. And then, you know, the Ogeechee river flows down to the coast where I'm from down in in the Southern part of Georgia. But when I was Mm. in college, it was mostly North Georgia. I did one semester in DC and I spent a lot of time in the Blue Ridge mountains and Shenandoah Valley when I was in DC. That's awesome. Yeah. Those were the spots. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think we were talking about this pre-pod, but I think Georgia is really good for nature. Just, I mean, you get the nature, you don't get the fashion, but with the nature, you do get the mountains. Like for me, mountains, like an hour away, the beach is like three or four hours away. If I wanted to go there, like, I don't know. I think it's just a good spot. The weather's not too crazy. It gets it gets hot, but not as hot as like Arizona. You know, it doesn't get yeah, too that's cold true, but it, either. It gets pretty hot, buddy. It like, gets pretty okay. Maybe it's just my bias because I've lived here for a while. Well, you're like, also in the northern part of the state. In the southern part of true. the state, it gets. It's not just hot. It's so humid. You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the rain comes. It barely cools things off, and you see that steam rising up from the mm-hmm. streets. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's bad. But when you compare it to other places that have good views, you know, like you got anything out West, like those places are all really, really, really cold. And like I was in Montana in June and it was snowing and we were wearing like three layers of jackets, you know, so I don't know if I I don't know if I'd rather live there. I think I'd rather take humidity and heat for three months than super cold. You know, that's just me, though. I don't like the cold. I mean, you know, it's it's. It's funny how people who grow like I grew up in this very kind of, you know, warm environment. Mm. And when the first time I moved to Europe as a teenager, I did a year abroad in Germany, I would had no clue how to dress. Like yeah. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know how, you know? And I was freezing like so often until, you know, a friend would be like, "Damn, girl, you need to like put some socks on with those shoes or like, you know what I mean? But I, I used to see that when I lived in Boston and people would come to, from California, they just like, they wouldn't have a jacket. They wouldn't really know how to do it. So we do actually spend a lot of time like on product education because mm-hmm. what we, you know, maybe 
maybe you grew up knowing that sounds like your mom spends time outside and she probably taught you how to dress, but a lot of people have never even learned how to dress for the outdoors. Tons Mm -hmm. of people don't even understand about layering. Yeah. Yeah. My mom used to do an outdoor like adventure camp thing, uh, in Germany where they would go like to this place in the Alpine mountains and just camp out and like cook their own food and sleep in the cabins and all that during the winter and like snow ski. And she, she just showed me pictures of her, like, hiking and snow boots and like doing cross-country skins like what the hell you never told me any of this stuff it's awesome um, so fun. yeah so she had a ton of outdoor experiences so she was very aware of like dressing and all that she's definitely the mom who told me to put on a jacket every day no matter what <laughs> yeah i yeah. always have this argument with my daughter like about wearing waterproof jackets in the rain mm-hmm. And, and, and she always insists on taking an umbrella instead. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually, we've never, we've never gotten past that so far. Yeah. She'll grow up one day, you know, she'll, she'll <laughs> learn. <laughs> I mean, I just consider umbrellas like so antisocial, you know, there's, when there's yeah. crowded streets and narrow sidewalks, it's like such an asshole move to just poke someone in the eye with your umbrella. Yeah. Big umbrella. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I just went to the fair and I took an umbrella cause I forgot my rain jacket and uh, it was, just, it was me and my fiance, but you know, we were waiting in line for like the Ferris wheel and there was a guy behind me who I just like kept hitting. It's like, I'm so sorry. I can't control this. Like the wind's blowing or I I don't know how close you are behind me. I don't know how big the umbrella is. <laughs> we have to get one of those bubble umbrellas that are translucent. Yeah. So you can see yeah, through. Yeah. yeah. That's a good those, idea. That's a nice compromise. I actually mm-hmm. bought one of those for my daughter for Christmas. I was like, here you go. Yeah. If you're going to use one, you might as well be socially <laughs> conscious. <laughs> awesome exactly nice uh well now that you live in paris um where people use umbrellas i guess where do you go to get outside and how often are you doing that oh my god it's so fabulous it's like yeah yeah so the cool thing is you can take the train to all these places Mm, that's awesome to you so take the train down to the um down to nice and go swimming in the mediterranean i love doing that Uh, you can take the train up to the Alps. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a resort that I'm really into called Les Arcs, which was built, which was designed by um, Charlotte Perriand, who was part of mm-hmm. Corbusier Studio and this whole kind of like, you know, populist, you know, resort for the people kind of thing. And you can take the train straight there. Literally, like you you go to Garden Leon, you get on the train mm-hmm. and you get out at the station for the funicular. So that's extremely cool. Um, closer, I take the, tr- in the summer, I take the train a lot to Zurich to go swim in the lake. Mm-hmm. You can swim only on Sunday afternoons in Canal Saint Martin, which is in Paris. Mm-hmm. You can swim all the time in Zurich in the summer. It's incredible. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I take the train there and might spend the weekend in Zurich to swim mm-hmm. in the lake there, which got very warm this summer. It got up to like 23 degrees Celsius. It was just incredible. Um, and then there is a big forest here near Paris called Fontainebleau, which is like about, I don't know, like maybe 40 minutes on the train. And it's a beautiful hike. It's a great place for bouldering. So we were just there on Saturday and the leaves were so gorgeous and it was just so beautiful. But, um, you know, Paris is not really known as a green city. No, I didn't think of it as that. Yeah, but there are really beautiful gardens and there are beautiful parks. And so, um, you know, we go to those a lot and and we sit by the river and, you know, just enjoy the like chill vibe of the river. Yeah. I think about, uh, I watched a series on YouTube, Action Bronson in Paris. Of I know it's Bronson, but I haven't seen that. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's him literally just going around drinking wine and eating charcuterie. And I just imagine 
that kind of lifestyle, but also like you were saying, do it by the river, go down to some park and do that. It's just, it's some, that I romanticize Paris so much because of just that one video series that he's made. The marketing for it is he's done a great job of marketing Paris if it needs to be done, you know? I'm definitely going to watch it because yeah, it, it, it is an incredible place to live. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not the best place to work. <laughs> but, I mean, actually it is a good place to work if you don't really give a shit about what you're getting done, but it's, <laughs> It's it's a really incredible place to live. So I think the hype, I mean, the hype is real. And and the mm-hmm. infrastructure is just so fantastic. Like there's no potholes, at least not, oh. you know, in part of the city. The bike lanes are incredible. They have two-lane awesome. bike lanes all over the place. Wow. Um, and everyone around me is sick of hearing me talking about the fact that you're going to be able to swim in the sun next summer. <laughs> They're getting it ready for the Olympics, which is going to be super oh, cool. That's very cool. Nice. Well, urban yeah. Swimming. The, urban swimming is is just such a vibe. I'm so into it. I mean, I've seen I've seen people go. I believe it's Amsterdam, where you can like swim in the canals in Amsterdam, and that just seems so cool. Because I don't, you don't really equate swimming with giant cities. You know, it seems like the water would be dirty. Because maybe I'm, you know, I grew up in the U.S. where if you swim in New York, you're going to turn into a mutant of some kind. So, or like Boston, you know, it it doesn't sound like it's something you should be doing, but. I don't know. I'm not here for it. It's really, it's really fucked up that we've come to accept that. Yeah. I mean, it gets so hot in Boston in the summer. It's such a huge running town. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that people run by that river and never stop for a minute to think about how fucked up it is that they can't, I mean, that they can't just jump in it and cool off because it's the funnest thing in the world to go for a long run and then like jump in a lake or jump in a river is so, or even in the ocean is so fun. So, you know, people are waking up to this. And mm-hmm. it's changing. It's going to change in Paris. It's going to, it's already changing in New York. It's going to change in Boston. There's a whole group there focused on making the Charles River swimmable again. Mm. And I'll, I'll be the first in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'll see you there. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. <laughs> nice. Um, so I guess to round off the talk, uh, tell me about the future. You're, we already know you're going to be swimming in Boston and the Sin. <laughs> Where, what, what else is on the bucket list? coming up or well far you know future. what we're gonna we're gonna start to do some graphic tees at early mm. majority which okay. is very ironic because in the beginning i was like i just want to make technical outerwear i'm not going to build some t-shirt brand you know yeah actually i think if you can't make good t-shirts then you don't really have a good brand so Agreed. um i think it's the, i think it's the litmus test it is so, it truly is it really is, you know, and so you don't get to, it's like, you don't get to skip past go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have to start, you, that's something that you have to be able to come to terms with. You have to reckon with, you have to be able to create a t-shirt that people really want to wear. So we have some graphic tees that we're working on that I'm just like super, super excited about. The second thing for us is getting more rooted in this place. Mm. So we started during the pandemic and everybody was distributed. And what we're doing now is just getting much more rooted in the awesome realities of Paris and making that much more part of the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the most Parisian brand I know, as far as like in the scene is probably Satisfy. I'd probably say they've done the best yeah, job. Yeah, of... an advisor to early majority. Oh yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. there you go. You've He's been so, um, <laughs> so, so kind and so supportive and helpful in a loving way and in a tough way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's, he's so, I mean, he's a real inspiration to me, you know, and, and, and I don't like, it's, it's hard sometimes to work near someone who is just so fucking accomplished, you know, but I kind of 
you know, you have to realize like Breeze has been doing this for so long. He had April seventy. Oh, yeah. You know, he had a denim brand before he had Satisfy. Mm. So I just I I soak up every little bit of knowledge that I can get from him, and I'm so grateful for his sharing it. And and it is a real Parisian brand. I mean, yeah. but not in a way that's hokey at all. It's like you see the sensibility come through in a way mm. that I think is really powerful and beautiful. Yeah, I think the like urban kind of aesthetics of Paris are kind of present in all of the stuff that they make, which is Yeah, really me cool. too. It's beautiful enough to wear on the street, even though I think for him, he is not one of those people that like rocks around in his running clothes. I mean, for mm-hmm. him, he just, he didn't want to have to look lame in his running clothes, which we can all relate to. I didn't, it's the yeah. same as me. I didn't want to have to look lame in a waterproof shell. I didn't want to have to yeah. wear some kooky Patagonia waterproof shell that looked like I was <laughs> worried I was going to die in an avalanche and that's why I'm wearing it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So um, I think that like, and as a result of that, he has actually developed pieces that you would wear on the street, right? Like that, um, that Merino base layer, you know, that's just so beautiful. So beautiful. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I haven't talked to him. I have talked to Daniel at Satisfy about like the whole brand. I saw him last night at the party. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, tell him I said hi next time. I will. I will. What a star. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. Just a bunch of superstars working on that brand. It's very, very cool to see. And you and I met through Arcady, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think I just reached out to him on a whim to come on the pod. And then he was like, I got a person who's going to be great. And that was like last year. And I, I put it off for a little bit. And then I messaged and communication. I, I don't think I responded back to you or something. But now here we are. We've made it here work. Here we are. We've made here it we work. <laughs> and Arcady's been so fun to work with too. And a really big part of early majority. So yeah. Yep. Yeah, Good that boy's busy. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to say as we are coming up on the time deadline? No, I've just enjoyed being able to be a very relaxed passenger on this adventure that you're driving. (laughs) And um, Thank you for having me. It's been fun. It's been a fun ride. I'd love to have you back on sometime for part two. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of everything right now. So we'll we'll be in touch maybe sometime soon. We'll get, get you back on. But Joy, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to finally meet you. Of course, you as well. Where can people find you and all of your work online? Um, at Early Majority on on Instagram and earlymajority.com online. And then my personal um, Instagram is at Joy Rocker. Awesome. Well, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day. Thanks, you too. See you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.